we are a part of a community of churches that dates back 125 years, and you may not realize that, and that is okay. We are extremely autonomous, we are extremely independent here at Southeast, but we do have some connection to other congregations and churches throughout this world, actually. Uh, If you look at it, it's over 125 years, there are seven thousand churches that are a part of this group of churches uh, called the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana. It is a group that started in the late 1800s. And it was an interesting time in our country. The, the country had been incredibly divided by the Civil War. And a man came out of that experience, seeing the Civil War, seeing the division in the country. Doesn't that sound incredibly familiar and poignant right now in this moment? A country that was incredibly divided. And he looked around and he looked at the church and he saw the church that was divided. And he said, something is not right with this picture. (laughs) When you look at the words of Jesus and he prays and he says, they will know, they will know that you are my disciples because you are one. And he prayed for the unity that they would be one. And he says, just as the Father and he are one. He says, just in the way that God is one, he says, may we be one. And he looked at this world and it was incredibly divided. It's hard for us to imagine, but you could walk into a church and because you weren't a member of that specific group of people, they could say, you can't take communion here. You can't participate in the Lord's Supper. You're not a part of this community. It's hard to imagine that world. And in some ways, it's actually not too hard to imagine. Tribalism is a default within our brokenness. Tribalism is that default. And he said, this isn't the way it's supposed to look. So he began to preach this message of unity. That as God changes us... He brings us together. And we recognize, we see in each other things that we're supposed to be for. And we say, I'm not going to be against everybody here. I'm going to be for all of these things. Can we get behind that right here? And people got excited. And this message began to spread. The kingdom of God began to expand. People saw God working through this movement of people. And it exploded. It was a cool time in our country because... People had all these camp meetings is what they called them. And they would do them, they started doing them separately. So you'd have the Baptist camp meeting, the Methodist camp meeting, all this. And one day somebody said, we should start doing these camp meetings together. Let's let's all get together, right? This guy says, that's what we want. That's what we're supposed to be. So this movement is kind of born out of this reality of let's build this incredible kingdom together with some unity. And we're a part of that group. And I love that we're a part of that group. There's something else that's cool that happened when that movement started. As God began to work through these people, all of a sudden there were women within this movement that began to be called up within that group of churches to preach. And early on, 80 to 90% of the churches that were started within this movement were led by women. They were incredible, amazing women. One of them is a woman named Lena Schaffner. And I want to tell you just a little bit of Lena's story. And I'm going to be honest with you. You know that I'm transparent. You know that I show my emotions. I'm going to cry during the story. I know I will. Because Lena's story, I think, is so powerful. 
So Lena was doing a, um, one of these tent revivals, and she was in Alabama, and this was in 1897. And you can imagine Alabama in 1897. And she went down there and she began to have this revival camp meeting sort of thing. And all of these people came to the worship service together. What was interesting about it was in Alabama in 1897, coming to a worship gathering like this, people were worshiping together, but there was a rope. And this rope went right down the middle of the gathering. And on this side over here were whites. And on this side, over here, were blacks. This wasn't the way that Lena wanted it. This wasn't the way the camp meeting wanted it. This wasn't the way that God wanted it. This was the way that the law was written. We put a dividing line between the people. And then Lena gets up, and she begins to preach. And and she does this sermon that was, that was incredible. It, it, it alluded to this wall of separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Because that was a big divide in the New Testament. And throughout that talk, she's kind of getting excited and into it. And, you know, talking about this. And she says, and the wall of division came down. <laughs> she's preaching like with serious fire. And somebody gets up and they walk to the back of the room. And they untie that rope, and they throw it down on the ground. And blacks and whites began to mingle together and worship together and pray together. The next night, a group of people came to the Alabama camp meeting, and they bombed it. And not only did they bomb it, this is what's crazy about this. Not only did they bomb it, they bombed the tent where they were taking care of people who were sick. My daughter always says, Daddy, there's some people who are just mean, aren't there? And I said, yes, honey. It doesn't matter where they come from or what their religion is or what their race is. People are just bad across the board if they're just bad. And there are good people from every background. And those people were bad. And they came and they bombed that camp meeting. And you know what Lena did? Lena wrote a note and said, you probably heard about our troubles in Alabama. (laughs) And she says, but it was amazing what happened. And she went back the very next year, and they had another camp meeting. I want to be a pastor like Lena Schaffner. That's the kind of preacher that I want to be. And then... I open up my Bible, and I read a passage like this, 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, passages like this are why we're doing this series on the Bible. See, I think some people were confused. We started talking about a series on the Bible, and I kind of thought people 
thought the way that we were going to go was we were just going to defend Scripture all day and how perfect it was. What they didn't expect us to do was go to passages that make most of us want to go, yuck, that's gross, but that's exactly what we're doing. Let's go into the passages like this that are completely difficult. The passages that are all the ammo that you need to go, oh, I see, yeah, the Bible's conservative, regressive, it's out of touch with the modern world. And, you know, so for some people, it's very clear what the Bible is saying here. I, I watched a video of a guy online, this YouTube video of this preacher, and he's taking this passage. This is what he had to say about this particular text. He said, um, every church that's right with God should have a sign that says male leadership because it's the only kind of leadership It doesn't make men better. It's just God's way. Now, the man is an absolute caricature, which is why I didn't show the YouTube video. Because I wanted this to sting a little bit. Because at the end, he puts his arms out like this, and he goes. Then he says, and all the men said. And you actually hear men go, amen. I don't want to be a woman in that church. I don't want to be me in that church. So let me get, be very clear before you get the wrong idea. That's gross. I think using this passage as a weapon to stamp out the voices of women in our church is wrong. The use of this scripture in that way, it's patriarchal, it's chauvinistic, and it's all about power. It is not women's voices that need to be stamped out. I'm going to be super clear. It's this methodology that for far too long has kept women from being who God created them to be. And here's the thing about it. This approach is in... Where'd my stool go? I almost sat down. That would have been embarrassing. (laughs) This approach is incongruent with the story of Scripture. I'm going to read you just a piece here about female leaders in the Bible. Listen to this. Miriam was one of Israel's leaders. She stood alongside Moses, leading the people of God in worship. Deborah, her story is found in the book of Genesis, or of Judges. And the only way to describe Deborah is this way. She was like the president, the pope, and Rambo, all in one. Huldah was called under in the midst of a spiritual revival in Israel. And not because she was the only one that was available. It, it's very clear in that, that she was the most qualified. Esther was a queen who rescued the Jewish people in the midst of absolutely incredible odds. And then we get to the New Testament. Mary is chosen to bring Jesus into the world. God could have created a miracle. And we could have had Arnold Schwarzenegger giving birth, just like that movie. But he doesn't. He chooses Mary. She was, and think about this. Now think about this. Not not only did she give birth to Jesus. We know that she is responsible for the spiritual formation of Jesus and his brother James. Because 
by the end of the time that Jesus is in ministry, she's a widow. She was responsible for raising up Jesus and James in their spiritual life. Junia was an early leader in the church. She's listed, listen to these words, as being outstanding among the apostles. No way around it. It's a word for teaching. Aquila was a leader in the church, but his wife Priscilla is the one who's given equal mention. And here's what's interesting too. They worked together. They taught the way of Jesus. And then Phoebe, Phoebe is called a deacon, which was a word for leader in the early church. And then we'd absolutely be blind, and I've taught on this before, that the very first people to share the news of the resurrection of Jesus were women. And this didn't make sense in a patriarchal world to say that. If you wanted your story to be true, you would have chosen men, but they chose women to tell the story because they were the ones empowered to tell the story of the resurrection. They were the first to believe. So I'm going to be clear. This is not a sermon defending women women in ministry. I think the stories that I've shared, I think the passages and the texts here do a good enough job with that. If you want to debate it, this is one of those issues you will not find me be very kind about. I'm not debating women in ministry. But what I do want to do with the rest of our time is this. I want to talk about what we do with this passage. Because I want to be really honest. It's incongruent with the stories of Scripture. And I don't like it. I don't like that Paul said women should be silent in the church. Seems too black and white. He didn't leave any gray area. And I don't agree with him. I don't agree with something in the Bible. That's kind of hard to hear, right? So what do we do with the passage? What do we do with it? What do we find here? Now, this brings me back to something I taught on a while back, which was this word rest. We've hit it every single week. This stool that I almost didn't sit on has four legs, right? Four legs. If I turn it this way, it does not, it would not stand, it would not work if it was missing one of its legs. So the way we talked about this was when we read scripture, we need to have the same thing in mind. There's a very simple acronym for this. We need to take account reason, which is that God has given us the ability to think and process and work things out, dialogue together, to come up with incredible things we never begin to imagine. I pull out my iPhone and I go, somebody has the incredible ability to reason and create something like this. It's incredible. So we have reason. We have experience that we look and we say, when I tell that story of Lena Schaffner, you say, man, that woman must have been called to preach because something happened in that place. Something happened when she preached the word of God. It was huge, so experience. Then we have scripture that we go, well, wait a minute, and then we have tradition. And scripture and tradition in a lot of places have taken this passage and just read it, said, see, the scripture says, therefore the tradition is. But then I go, but it doesn't match up with my experience and my reason. And rather than taking the passage and then going, forget it, I'm not going to read it, or forget it, I'm going to use it as my argument against women, I need to be over here going, I need to study this more. If you find a passage in the scripture and you go, I don't like that. I'm uncomfortable with that. That's hard to read. It's not a sign that you don't have faith or that you need to move away from the passage or it's going to hurt your faith. It's actually a sign you need to lean in 
further to your discomfort and research and ask questions and discover, is there something else going on in this text? So I put this up on my screen this week as I was researching and working. I put it up on the screen and I went, man, I don't want to preach this. And I said, all right, let's dig in. Let's research and let's see what we can discover. And now I'm excited to talk about this. Because I want to show you where this goes. So, let's listen to these really, really, really hard words one more time. Men, I hate to break it to you. You are the power brokers. If you are a white man in this world, you got a whole lot of power and a whole lot of resources. I'm going to ask you to do something that men, we struggle with sometimes. I want you to have some empathy. I want you to hear these words. And what these words sound like as a woman. Okay? Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak. But must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. So now, what's going on? Why is this out of place? And here's, here's one thing we know. We know the Bible didn't show up in a nice package with a bow on top of it. We talked about that kind of weekly. We, we know that the Bible is a library of a different genres, of different books, written over hundreds of years by 60 different authors and communities in at least three different languages, over miles of space between them, telling the story of God through their experience with God. So the passage we just read, if you take it out of that place, so here's this library and you pull it out. If you, just, if you think of it as one perfect package and you think of it as a bow on top of it and you pull it out like this, right? If you see this sort of like how people kind of see the Ten Commandments, right? You don't get to go, oh, I'll take uh, number seven, four, two, five, and three. I'm going to go ahead and do without one and nine. Don't look all those up and wonder why I picked those. I'm just random here, okay? You kind of say, oh, it seems like a package deal to me. Now, some of us, what we do then is we sort of go, with the rest of the Bible, must that work that way too? It must be a package deal. It sort of sounds like a law. It kind of sounds like it belongs in the Constitution. Whereas, whereas women talk too much, here's what I have to say about that. Be it therefore resolved that women shouldn't talk. You kind of imagine it being a law like that. The problem with that is it doesn't make sense with the rest of the Bible. It doesn't make sense with the rest of the stories of women leading. And here is the super kicker on this thing. It makes no sense with the letter that we're reading. This is a letter called 1 Corinthians. It was written to a church that was started in the city of Corinth, which is why it's called 1 Corinthians. Now, there are multiple letters that we sort of know were going back and forth between Paul, who, who helped start this church and who was leading these people. He's writing letters back to Corinth. They're writing to Paul. They're asking all these questions. There's all sorts of trouble. Corinthians is one of these letters that you're like, hey, you know, the, the first churches, they must have been perfect. We should be like them. They were a mess. And he is writing them and going, hey, you need to think about this, or you need to do this, or what's going on with this? And then they'd write him back, and they'd say, well, here's what's happening. We don't know what to do about this. And then he writes back, and he says, well, have you thought about this? Or maybe you should do this. You know, here's some things about here. And so they're passing these letters back and forth. And what's cool about that is we get in on this. Now, here's the problem. 
Have you ever gotten a text from somebody that wasn't meant for you? And you got the second part of the congregation or conversation. You got the B and you missed the A. And you're like, I have no idea what this person is talking about. You're like, I'm not Daryl, Tom. I don't know what Daryl did last night, but it's not me. If you knew A, you'd have a little more sense with B. And that's sort of what's happening here. We're reading a letter that Paul is writing. We don't get A, we're getting B. So we need to do a little bit of research. So if we back up a few paragraphs, I want you to hear what Paul says to these people just a few chapters later. And this is a lesson, as my good friend told me, he said, this is one of those lessons in don't take a passage and just pull it out of Scripture. Read what is around it. So first thing, first lesson, if you don't understand a text, don't go, well, that doesn't make sense. Read before, read after. If it still doesn't make sense, go, well, I should read a little further back and a little further it might actually get you reading the Bible, which is a great thing, right? That's a great way to read the Bible. I don't understand this. Let's read some more, right? Okay, so listen to this. He goes back in, in, in chapter 11, just a few paragraphs before. This is what he has to say. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Matt, I can't believe you play drums with a hat on today. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Which is why, Amber, I know you like your hair, but you prayed today. So you're going to lose it, right? Now, nobody sits here and reads this stuff and goes, well, I sure hope uh, Ryan brought the big razor this morning. So we can correct this uh, real issue that we have in the church. I mean, it just seems nuts. And here's where this gets weird. Listen to what Paul says again. Listen very closely. But every woman who prays or prophesies. So there's a lot of confusing things going on about head shaving and all this stuff. That's a whole other sermon. So let's jump up, though, to this. But every woman who prays or prophesies. Now, The Greek words that are used here in this passage for pray and prophesy are very clear. They mean to lead towards and to speak in public. They sound like strange words. I get it. They sound like church words. One of them sounds even weirder. But if you take pray and prophesy and you understand what's happening in the actual Greek itself, it's simply Lead people towards God with the words that you have to say. Which is why as Amber spoke here this morning and led us in worship and helped us to understand the words that we were singing this morning, she was praying and she was prophesying. And Paul says that's exactly what women should be doing. Now, this isn't unexpected. Paul's not saying anything too strange. If we go to the book of Acts, which is right after the time that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected, and then the church comes next, okay? So this is where Acts kind of falls in. It's the story of the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Listen what one of Jesus' followers stood up. He quoted a section of the Bible, and he said, this is what was happening in this incredible moment at the birth of the church. He says, in the last days, God says... 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Listen to that again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Huge word. We see all in scripture. Huge word. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So here's what's weird. Why do we go from Paul saying women should prophesy? It was in the early church. How do we go from that to women need to shut up? It does, just doesn't make any sense. So, so let's look at it again because I, I think the answer is found if we would just read past the shut up part. It's so easy to stop there and not see what's going on. Listen what else is happening here. 1 Corinthians 14.35, the very next verse. And it's going to be hard to hear this too, but I want you to hear it. Listen. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. Now, when you read this, Didi's laughing because you still hear this and you still hear, women, sit down and shut up. Go talk to your husband at home. That's what we hear. But listen what is actually taking place. Again, we're on the B side of the conversation happening here. And I want you to hear what's actually taking place. If you look at the context, the culture, the people in that day and age, the men who were the ones who were educated, Paul assumes he's making an assumption that Daryl, you know this is Tom. It's kind of what's happening here. He says, listen... I know that the men have received the theological education that they need. The early church was absolutely serious about this. We talked about this at the Fresh Breakfast earlier today. That when they would take communion in the early church, they would say, if you're not a believer, get out. And they would lock the doors. I'm so glad we don't do that too. And then they would have these times that they would have this very serious teaching and they had a very specific, and it was the training and the discipleship was very, very clear. This was their role. And they understood the men who came into this church would have received that education. And then Paul says this. He says, listen, here's the thing. If anyone has questions, Paul didn't say if anyone has questions because he assumed these women have questions because they're not being trained. And what he heard was a letter coming back to him. We, We understand is we don't know what to do. Worship is disorganized. People are asking all sorts of questions. It's getting out of control. These women are sitting in the back, and they're like, I don't understand what's going on. And they're trying to have a worship service. And listen, every question is a good question. Every question is not meant for everybody at the same time. So if I literally just said, all right, everybody, what are the questions? We would be here forever. And it would be, and and back in that day, again, this was a divided church. This would be like me saying, hey, y'all, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like... Why don't, we, why don't you ask some questions today about the election? Well, that's going to go real well. Paul is going, hold up. I want you to have organized worship. But pa- Paul knew something. That a place of peace where you come and rest and experience worship matter. And he said, listen, if those women back there have questions, find the right teacher, find the right environment to ask. Here's the bottom line I want you to hear on this. Paul is making a correction to the way things were 
not a declaration about the way things should be. And this has huge implications. Paul, Paul isn't telling people that women should be silent for the rest of time. Here's the kicker. He is actually commanding the church to teach these women so they can play a part in teaching and leading. This would have been unheard of in the ancient world. Paul is not conservative. He's not regressive. He's out of touch with his culture because his culture was wrong. The words here aren't even really directed at women at all. This is what I wrote in my notes, and this is what I firmly believe. That what these words are really saying is that the church isn't the church until everyone, especially the marginalized that are on the sidelines, are taught and empowered to become the leaders of the church. That is what is happening in this passage. He is looking at these people and saying, you have failed. You're you're missing the point. You guys are failing if you're not teaching these women in your church because without their voices, the church is incomplete. Now that is a message that I can get behind. That is a message that we begin to understand. That is a message where somebody stands up, they throw down that rope, and they say, this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Where your sons and your daughters are prophesying and leading and teaching and moving the kingdom of God forward. Because without them, it's not going to happen. So, here is the best thing that I think we can do this morning. I'm going to turn off my microphone. And I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to listen to a woman in this church. Who has learned and grown and is helping lead this place. Suzanne, can you take it from here for us? How do I make it come back on? I may be able to get up here, but I still don't know how to work his technology. (laughs) Because I want to remember this moment forever. There we go. Thank you. So Ryan pointed out that Paul was making a correction, not a declaration, in his letter to the church in Corinth. But there's somewhere else that Paul, in a different letter, does actually kind of paint that picture of what things are supposed to look like. He does that in Galatians 3.28. He says, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So the labels, he's saying, don't matter in Jesus' eyes. He's not ranking us. We're not part of a hierarchy. We are just followers of Jesus. That was what was important. And when Jesus brought his disciples together, when he started to gather them, and he told them, go out and make more disciples, he didn't tell them what kind of disciples to make, just followers of Jesus. It wasn't the label that mattered It was what was in their hearts, and it was who they were bringing into his kingdom. Now, this message is close to my heart, and you're probably thinking, well, duh, because Ryan just got up here and defended your ability to get up there and your ability to go get ordained and all of that sort of thing. 
But why I actually love this message and why I've been excited about it since Ryan and I first talked about it months ago and why I'm standing here today is because of the lesson that I see, not about women in leadership, but a lesson that's for all of us everywhere. As we read the Bible, especially passages like this, we're supposed to ask the hard questions and expect to find tension. But we're also supposed to realize that none of us, not even Ryan, has all the answers. And it's not so important what we think something says or telling everybody our opinions, but it's taking that humble posture of learning and recognizing that we don't know everything. And that applies not just in this verse that Ryan talked about today and not even this series in the Bible as a whole. Yes, it's important that we have a posture of learning when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus, but it's also important that we have a posture of learning outside these walls and in the world all around us. Because let's face it, we live in a world of headlines, of little you know, clickbait, little one-liners. We scroll through Facebook, we look at social media, we go to news sites, and everything are those one little liners. And we latch onto them and we make an opinion about something. And it's usually not that we read a headline and we go, oh, that changed my mind. We're out there looking for resources and looking for information that confirm what we already believe, that support the rhetoric that we already have. That way we can hold it up and say, look, see, I was right. I was right, everybody. But the problem with that is that it happens online in real life, and we get just enough information that we start to be really dangerous. We're so eager to voice our opinions, to share our two cents, that we're not letting anybody else into the conversation. Now, I want you to do something for me today. I want you to think of one opinion, any opinion, or in the case of some people, maybe several opinions, that you hold on so tightly to, and that you just dig your heels into, to the point, it's that opinion that when you talk to people, you say, this is just what I think. And I don't really care what you think about that. Do you have a problem with it? Not my problem. Think about that opinion that at holiday functions, all your family and friends know, well, don't bring that up around him. (laughs) That topic that closes your relationship off with even the people who are closest to you. Food for thought with Thanksgiving coming up, right? Now think about that. And ask yourself, is this an opinion that is in line with the opinion that Jesus would want me to have? Because the reality is today isn't about one verse. It's not about the Bible. It's about what following Jesus looks like. Because Jesus made disciples, and he told those disciples to go make more disciples. And the whole point of what we're trying to do here is to bring people in We want to go on this journey with them. We want to drag them along with us if we have to. We want to show people what love looks like. We want to create the kingdom of God here on earth. But when we dig our heels into an opinion that is not one that Jesus shared, or even worse, runs exactly opposite to what Jesus taught, we are not inviting anybody in with us. We are slamming the door in their face. 
So think about what you're going to dig your heels into. Don't make it an opinion that runs counter to Jesus. But dig into learning. Learning about God. Learning about love. And sharing that with those around us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us. And part of that is the ability to reason and the ability to learn. We know that there will never come a time when we know everything about everything. And that's actually pretty beautiful. You've given us the ability to create a relationship with you and a relationship with others as we learn by ourselves, together, in small groups, as a family, and as a church family. I ask that you open our hearts and minds so that we let go of the things that are holding us back from open and honest relationships and fill us with the love and the learning that you intend for us to be filled with. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.